Be patient, brothers and sisters. In just a few sentences, St. James repeated that four times. (laughs) It's as though he thought someone needed to hear it. Be patient. The farmer is patient. You must be patient. Recall the patience of the prophets. But he not only speaks about patience, but he gives us a clue to its meaning. You must be patient. How? Make your hearts firm because the Lord's coming is near. There's the goal. There's the end. There's the great good. His coming is near. It's like the farmer, he's saying, who sees that the harvest is coming. There's the good. Don't lose sight of it. Fortify your hearts so you're not pulled away from that goal. He's saying our whole existence is oriented toward that point, which is the return of the Lord, the judge. John Paul II said something similar. I shared it on Thursday at the Holy Day Mass. In his reflection on Adam and Eve in the garden, they stood before the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. John Paul II said, They stood between good and evil, just like all of us do, just like Christ did. We have that possibility of choosing the good over evil. We have the possibility of choosing love precisely because there is that possibility of choosing not to love. He said that's at the root of human greatness, that we can choose what is excellent and grow in that ourselves. And he said, our being is directed towards judgment, towards assessment because of this. I mean, you think of being on the street, right, and somebody is hurt, and you have the possibility to help them, and you choose not to help them. Well, we have Good Samaritan laws that, said, that say, well, if you could have, you should have done that. That's What he's saying is the judgment, is the assessment that comes at the end. Look, we have that potential for greatness. Use it. Now, what can compromise this? St. James is pretty blunt. Stop complaining. (laughs) Complaining has to do with losing heart, losing confidence or hope. This person is terrible. They're always going to be terrible. And let me tell you how terrible they're going to be. They're always going to be. It has a sense of losing heart in the capacity of the other to be better, to grow, which ends up often being reflected back on our own assessment of ourselves. I'm not going to get any better. I have no confidence or hope in the future, in my future. So patience is that virtue which clings to the good in the face of forces that would pull you away from it. Patience is the virtue which clings to the good in the face of forces that would pull you away from it. So you can think of a student who might have the goal, the finish line, the good of a major in mind or graduation or an exam, and yet is pulled away, loses patience by being pulled away by laziness or this need to be diverted or to be entertained. Or you can think of driving. I mean, who gets impatient when they're driving? I don't know. But you could think of when you lose patience in driving, what's happening? Well, you're losing focus on the good, maybe getting from point A to point D. 
or it might be I've lost focus on the reality that this entire transportation system exists for someone beyond me. <laughs> or we think of our campaign, especially those who've been here from the beginning and have worked, labored, and they're wondering, well, we planted the seed, we watered it, where is it? Be patient. It takes time. Hold to the good and know that all that you've done is not in vain, but is leading towards the harvest. Or maybe we could think of parents with children, not that parents ever become impatient with their children. What happens when you are impatient with them? You're losing sight of their good. And you're kind of throwing up your hands like, well, this is as good as it's going to get, I guess. And there's nothing left but to get angry, to be impatient with them. So to overcome impatience, we ask the question, well, what's the good? What am I losing sight of? And then two, what's drawing me away from it? What's pulling me away from that goal? Now, there's an irony here because most parents, either at the time or in hindsight, would say regarding their kids, I had no idea what the heck I was doing with them. <laughs> they didn't come out with a manual. I didn't know. I still probably don't know. <laughs> kids, I hope that doesn't scare you. <laughs> a psychologist, at least some psychologists, will say that a child's experiencing of a parent's imperfection, fragility, mortality, lies at the roots of much teen rebellion. Because the child has grown up with this impression that mom and dad are perfect, that mom and dad are always be here, and they built their life up on that. But as they encounter the fragility, the imperfection, the mortality of their parents, then it throws them, the psychologists say. It's like, where's the secure ground on which to build my life? I thought you were it, and evidently you're not, and I push you away. You represent something false. Parents, you see how crucial it is not to form your kids in your own image, but to point to the good beyond yourself. I mean, confessions as a family is helpful with this. Right? Because what are the kids seeing? Well, they're seeing that mom and dad are accountable to something beyond themselves. They're responsible to something higher. They're acknowledging, I am not the law, but I'm directing you to it. I'm showing you it. So it raises the question, to what good should you be pointing them? What is that overarching good for my kids and for myself to which I must cling steadfastly in the face of forces that would pull me, that would pull us away from it? And the prophets held out to us this morning as examples of patience say, well, it's the God who comes to earth and renews creation, which bursts out in songs of joy at his presence. It's the one who sets right the physical and spiritual ills of blind eyes, deaf ears, lame limbs, and mute mouths. But the good to cling to is the God who fulfills his promises in Jesus Christ. He is the one who reveals to us what a human being is and should look like. There's a pattern to form yourself and your children to. 
There's an image of a human being fully alive. He's one who vindicates those who strive to look like that in the midst of a world that takes offense at him. A world that rejects the creator and his loving designs for it. Those are the forces against which our hearts must be firm if we are to stand. Which really does bring us directly to our parish of JP2. For this good revealed in Jesus Christ is obviously not of our own making. It predates us. It pre-exists. And has come to us only because Catholics down the centuries have stood together and drawn from the past, reverenced it, and built their lives upon it, which gave future generations the secure ground on which to live and thrive. I mean, do you see the opportunity that we have here? Young families, do you see it? You have the possibility of helping to shape the foundation so that your kids will more likely build their lives upon that which is truly solid and worthy of their faith, their trust, the gift of themselves. So this raises the question for all of us, what is the good that my life, the choices of my life, suggest is my final goal, the good towards which I'm striving? And then it becomes, and the means, that is, the faith of believers lived out and perished down the centuries, the means indicate the ends. How, what am I called to do in order to be responsible to what I have inherited, to reverence the gift that has been bestowed on me and provide for the possibility of secure and rich lives in the future. Identify the good and cling to it with all your being.